This is Jesus, the patterned son, and today the seven feasts corrected, especially having to do with first fruits. Welcome. This is Jesus, the patterned son, attempt to give you sonship doctrine that is faithful and fulsome, or in other words, a go at it that's biblical and orderly. Welcome back, everybody. I just had to come to you with this new word. I thought perhaps I was finished with my brief episodes that I would put on a podcast in English. But no, I, I'm going to have to. So today we're going to talk about feasts, the feasts, the seven feasts. I know you've heard that a million times, but you haven't. That's my assignment. So you get a clear picture of it. Hallelujah. And I'm very, very grateful for this assignment. And I'm grateful for those of you who listen to me. And I would just be so delighted to continue the conversation. There is so much more that I could say if we had the luxury of a morning, an afternoon, an evening to just go through the scriptures and luxuriate in it and to worship together, you know, and I could preach. So here, because of the assignment and because of what we're doing, I'm teaching. It's not because I can't preach. You know, I can yell and stand on chairs with the best of them. And that's appropriate in certain cases. If I'm doing a evangelistic service on the street, you can bet that I preach like a Pentecostal. Hallelujah. Of course, I can't preach like a Presbyterian professor if I need to. But <laughs> for this, it's important that I go slowly. Sometimes that's hard for me. I guess it's getting easier. And I need to teach because you need a correct and clear idea because often other people have had other designs. The very basic ethics of rhetoric, of speaking, based long ago, obviously Paul had even studied this because it says in one place in Acts he motioned with his hands. So he was showing that he had learned from the rhetoric school of like Plato and Aristotle, whatever. And so they talked about the, the ethics of rhetoric. And the most, the number one most important rule is that you address the heart and the head. It was considered unethical just to address the heart alone because you could lie and then you could become a demagogue. And so when people are speaking quickly and using a lot of emotion, they are addressing your emotions, and that's appropriate in certain cases, but only if they are telling the truth. And you need to know if they are adequately and appropriately, truthfully conveying to you the Word of God. Is what they're saying what the Bible says, or do they have the Bible in their hand and evil in their heart? or maybe even well-intentioned, but they have so little education, they don't actually know what it says. And you and I know that we have been in service where somebody is preaching the exact 
or Sunday school where somebody's teaching the exact opposite to what is printed there in black and white on the page. And now when somebody is in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and they're reading and, and then they try to skip over those verses and want to read uh, only the first part of 13 or some obscure mention in the second part of 13 and they're telling you tongues isn't for today. You know, that level of lack of congruence doesn't fool you because you have seen that before. But there are much more deceptive lack of congruences when people are either very skilled at speaking and evil or they are really truly good-hearted and well-intentioned and think they've got revelation when they've really put together something that's very tenuous but does help them and that's what I was faced with seeing someone who I think is well-intentioned but you just you, you can get it wrong just so many times you know you build a whole building that becomes a trap for people to give you money but that scripture and 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 that scripture every scripture was very tenuously interpreted there is another there is a saying in another a whole nother school of thought that says a spiritual adept is that person who can sip out the milk and leave the water <laughs> and of course you know that in literal natural fact that's impossible but what they're trying to say is that the really wise person can make very fine distinctions that other people would never be able to make and that's true so if you have a lifetime of studying the word and listening to preaching as I do then you begin to be able to make some distinctions now you also you don't want to be all in your head and not listening to the the spirit because you can get like the Pharisees and know the letter but not the spirit but I trust I trust that we've got those both working together and we end up foolish if we are so spiritual that we're led around by the nose by people who are preaching some other version of the gospel right and you know what I'm you know you know that I am grounded in scripture when I say that and we also prove ourselves foolish when we don't study to show ourselves approved we don't actually know what the Bible says and you know I think that's really becoming a problem today I think it was always a problem but it's a greater problem today when people are not carrying Bibles so they're not actually looking at the scriptures and they're not looking at them in context and they're probably not reading them in the morning because it's so easy to sit down with your coffee and do YouTube or whatever platform okay and maybe what you're listening to is great you know whatever preacher and prophet you like but you need to read the scripture yourself I'm convicted of this even myself let's not leave that habit but read scripture ourselves study it ourselves and even for those who do not have the calling to be teachers even for those who are not skilled at studying nevertheless it is a definite principle that you need to lay your eyes on the word and you need to put that word the very text of the Bible in your heart so that it works on you and your character this is the basic fundamental first principle lessons and we need to 
keep at it. Oh gosh, there's so much. When I'm talking to you, there's so much coming from my heart. I want to take care of you. I am thankful for my assignment to re-preach sonship because, in this case, teaching, because I am setting captives free. There are people today who are estranged from God because they cannot make a distinction between what was true and what was manipulative and false and Yes, in some cases it was just one or another hurtful elder, but in some cases it was the system. It was the whole system, and I don't blame people for being bewildered. And there are a lot of second generations who are completely estranged from God, and I want to call you back. And then there are first-generation people older than me who are bewildered and who have just given up and resigned themselves in bewilderment because there was something true here, but things have fallen into a wreck and ruin, and they don't know how to proceed because they don't have any strong foundation. It was eaten away, and they don't have a person to lead them. And by lack of knowledge and lack of wisdom, people are destroyed. And then, of course, there are people who are just coming in, and they're going to fall into the same traps that that we did. And so only after a lifetime could I have addressed this because there is something so wonderful in sonship. And that's why I started where I did something so wonderful. And let's not throw the baby out with very dirty bathwater. And there are preachers who are much more well known than me who actually know about sonship but refuse to preach it. <laughs> and so um, this is so much a part of my life story, so much a part of my life story. And then if I hadn't have been in another very sad corner of the block, having done the real theological, you know, I have a, a sterling theological education, something that most spirit-filled people wouldn't dream of risking. But they are more poverty-stricken for it. My friends who talk about the Seven Mountains, overlook the fact that the mountains were seeded because the educated Christians were taken by liberalism and fell into apostasy, and the believing churches weren't educated. And so because they weren't educated, they weren't able to lead. They weren't, they weren't wealthy enough. They weren't schooled enough. And that goes down to this day. I can name you two, two people I know who are educated and spirit-filled, who can speak to the leaders of society. Two. Oh, that's just terrible. Okay, so anyway, I'm offering this to you in all vulnerability, but if you will listen, if you will listen, I, my morning reading was Proverbs, in the New Passion Translation. If you listen, if you don't close your ears to correction, this will be so beneficial to you. <laughs> Not just in a historical sense, but in an ongoing sense. And we're, all we're going to do, I believe, we're, all we're going to do is go through Leviticus 23. Okay, so invite me so that I can preach. Invite me so we can luxuriate because I'm just going to hit the high spots here and there's so much, so good stuff. 
but we're going to hit the high spots because we're going to face the corruption that needs to happen. And we're going to talk about Leviticus 23, about the feasts of the Lord. And very quickly, in Sagita, I hope to talk about the Greek of Ephesians 4, because this is being taken over by a new movement. No, not be, has been taken over by a new movement. And uh, they don't read Greek, and they're making some of the same mistakes. And then in some other time, I hope that we will talk about offering slash sacrifices slash tithes. Because in all my life, with all of the hours I've spent listening to preaching, I have never heard anybody teach this. What we need is a good teaching. What does the Bible actually say? And of course, they're going to go on and on and on with one scripture and some tenuous in a way that makes money. Well, look, folks, you do need to give to the people who teach to you. Oh, well, I have a scripture for that, Galatians 6. So if you want to keep that good coming to you, you're going to have to support it. That makes sense. Also, they're obviously a, a society that's more generous is going to do better. That, that's becoming obvious even in the secular business world today. But that will all remain for tomorrow. So please turn with me. Actually, I mean turn with me <laughs> to Leviticus 23. I'm going to use the New American Standard Bible because I have found that generally that is a little closer to the original languages. And also I'm discovering that so many people do not understand the King James English. I recommend it for memorization. Anyway, well, let's go to Leviticus 23. So I'm coming with the assignment of God, a special assignment of God. I'm coming to set the captives free. I'm going to go through with you the plain face value of the Bible, Leviticus 23, come with me. So the Lord spoke again to Moses saying, speak unto the sons of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed times. So King James translate feasts, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. So the word for appointed time is moed, mem holem ayin dalet, moed. Okay, appointed time, a feast time, a set time. Okay, verse three, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. Okay, and so because of this, there are now Christians who want to meet on Saturday because the Sabbath is Saturday. Comparing that with the folks in Acts, they met on the first day, on the first day of the week, which was the day that Jesus rose from the dead after the Sabbath because he couldn't raise on the Sabbath. Anyway, the scripture for that is Acts 20 and verse 7. Not going to get into that. But anyway, just to say, so the first important moed is the Sabbath. Now, we heard about the Sabbath in Genesis, the first chapters of Genesis. So the Sabbath and tithe came before the Mosaic law. Okay, if, if you read Genesis and, and attribute any facticity about the historicity at all. Okay, I mean, there are a whole lot of questions, but look, folks, I've sorted through them. Okay, verse 4. 
These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. Five, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So you're familiar with the story about the Passover, how the blood was on the lentils and the death angel passed over those houses and they ate in haste and left Egypt. Verse 6, then on the 15th day of the same month, so 14th day, 15th day, there is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord for seven days. You shall eat unleavened bread. This is part of the story because they ate in haste. Also, remember Jesus talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, meaning the false doctrine of the Pharisees that infects things. Okay, seven. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. But for seven days, you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread goes for seven days, as we clearly see in verse 6. Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord for seven days. And then he outlines what's going to happen in those seventh days. Verse 9. Verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. Now on the day when you shall wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb one year old without defect for a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall then be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord for a soothing aroma with its libation, a fourth of a hen of wine. Until that same day, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. And it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generation in all your dwelling places. So those are the verses all about first fruits. When was first fruits? The first day after unleavened bread. Oh, really? That's not what you heard. No, it's not what we've ever been taught, is it? Then look at verse 15. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, and there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. So we're now starting to count after first fruits. This is so important. Beloved, look at your Bible. Leviticus 23. Look at it. First fruits is important because several verses from 9 through 14 is allotted to first fruits. But you've got Passover, unleavened bread for seven days, and then the day after is first fruits. And you can't eat the new bread, the new grain, until you've offered first fruits. And the priest offers a male lamb of one year. And a grain offering, right? And then you begin counting in verse 15. Beloved, get this clear and straight in your mind. And I know that the leaders of the Sam 5 group actually know this and acknowledge this today, but it wasn't taught this way in the 70s. 
first fruits comes with the first three feasts. You've got Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Why? Because Jesus was the first fruit from the dead. Jesus rose first. Jesus is the first fruit sheaf, the one sheaf, singular sheaf. Jesus. Jesus. And then you start counting the seven weeks. This is the only festival which is dated by counting. That's why it's called the Feast of Weeks. All right, so just let's go over this one more time. We have seven feasts in three groups. We have the Passover stuff, and then we have Pentecost, and then we have the stuff in the what we call the fall in the United States. All right. The first three are grouped together. In the first month on the 14th day is the Passover, and then the 15th day is the unleavened bread, and then the day after that, or the seven days, and then the day after the Sabbath. And Sabbath, by the way, can refer to Saturday, or it can refer to another Moed, another feast. Then is first fruits. So Jesus rose from the dead after the Sabbath. Whichever Sabbath it was. He couldn't do any work. So the women didn't go to the tomb. And even God respected the Sabbath and didn't raise Jesus from the dead on the Sabbath. So I guess maybe he, he did the work of picking up the keys to death, hell, and the grave. <laughs> and he was there in the morning knowing that humans walk around when there's sunlight to meet the folks who came first. Blessed. Blessed it is to the women. And then blessed was the impetuous Peter and the, who was the leader? And the young one, John. Hallelujah. Jesus is the first fruits. That's so important. Jesus is the first fruits. How can we ever hope to be anything except in Christ? That's what the Bible is about. We're supposed to trust in Jesus, not some other set of works. That's why we moved on from the Mosaic Law. Okay, so first fruits is right after unleavened bread. Jesus is the first fruits. Yes, we'll talk about. And then, verse, we'll talk about some more. Then comes chapter 15. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, and there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. So now we're starting to count from first fruits. You should count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord, and you shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of a bushel. They shall be a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Okay, so now we've got some more first fruits. You had one sheaf earlier on, and then you have some first fruits. Well, you see, in the Middle East, the growing season is such that you have one harvest after another. So the barley harvest comes in before the wheat harvest, and the fruits come in much later. So you've got, it's not, look folks, we're not in Kansas. All right. Verse 18. 
But notice here, baked with leaven as first fruits, baked with leaven. So I think this, I mean, there's so much here, so much I'm skipping over, but baked with leaven as first fruits. So Jesus had no leaven. The church, we are first fruits from the dead, according to Paul. Paul already talked about the first church as being first fruits, but hey, we're mixed. The first church was mixed. Hopefully one day, not hopefully, one day we will be completely pure. God will finish the work. Hallelujah. And we agree with that. He'll finish the work. But for now, we're mixed. We're mixed bag. Baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Verse 18, along with the bread, you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect. And a bull of the herd and two rams, they are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their libations, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. Well, folks, the first fruit was one male lamb, and now we've got seven male lambs, and we got plenty of bull, <laughs> and, and thank God it's soothing, pleasing to the Lord. Thank God he loves us. Soothing to the Lord. Verse 19, you also, you shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs, one year old for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Hallelujah. 20, the priest shall then wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering with two lambs before the Lord and they are holy to the Lord for the priest. Okay, so now we've got a whole lot more that the priest is waving. So, here are greater works. It's not just one man walking around perfect, but we've got a body of lots of people who are soothing to the Lord, who are walking in holiness, etc. Holy to the Lord for the priest. In this case, well, okay, we're going to move on because I'm going to check some further thing. But anyway, uh, verse 21, on the same day, you shall make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. Okay, so that's Pentecost. So 15 to 21 is Pentecost. Verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap the very corners of your field, nor gather the gathering of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Verse 22 is the charity that goes on, and it's mentioned in conjunction with Pentecost. Hallelujah. And glad to say that the believing church is a generous church. Verse 23, actually the unbelieving church is a generous church because it's so well ensconced in Christian tradition and Jews also have a tradition of giving and we could learn from them in some ways. Okay, verse 22, verse 23. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses. All right, so we're now we're doing something else here. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. All right, so this is what 
We have always called the Feast of Trumpets what the Jews today call Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. Okay, so they have two firsts of the year. <laughs> okay, verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On exactly the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement, and it shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. Okay, so the Day of Atonement, which the Jews will call Yom Kippur. And you know that this is the most important day for them, day that the adults will fast. And I just am reminded that the Nazis in the prison camps weren't feeding their prisoners well. You know, they would get a bug-infested potato soup or something. But on Yom Kippur, they offered a feast to the Jews just in order to torment them. And I applaud the rabbis who told the people that they made a special deal with God so the people could eat that day and that the Lord would forgive them. But how terrible, how terrible that somebody would do that. And it's demon possession. I mean, you just can't explain this kind of hatred and always targeting Jews and, and this level of torture without suggesting there's got to be some demonic because why else would why else would Germans care? And anyway, so we did 27, the Day of Atonement. Verse 28, neither shall you do any work on the same day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord. Verse 29, if there is any person who will not humble himself on the same day, he should be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on the same day, that person will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no work at all. It will be a perpetual statute throughout your generation and all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. You shall humble your souls. And on the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening unto evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Well, Lord has been a little repetitive here. And who am I before the Almighty God? I'm just, you know, I'm convicted just reading this. We ought to be humble before God. And God has made it so very clear that we're not to do any work on this day. And for those of us who believe even assume typology, it's very clear that he's making a statement that we do not get salvation or our connection with him through works, but rather we need to humble ourselves and receive from him. And, and that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That, you know, God of the universe who spoke all that is into being, and we're just humans, right? Although it's right to pursue God. It's right to reach for God. It's right to adhere to all the rules and so forth. But he, he just, he's gone on and on to say, you don't do any work on this day. So the day of atonement is the day you don't do work. The day of atonement is the day you don't do work. So let's don't undo that somehow and say, we're going to work for our salvation. And God will finish the work. So yes, we're going to cooperate with God, but we're not going to strive. We're going to try to, oh, if we strive, we strive to enter into rest. And more about that. Verse 
33, And again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. All right, so we call this the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as a holy convocation to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and libations. Each day is matter on its own day. Hmm. Besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts and besides all your votive and free will offerings, which you gave to the Lord. Votives, so that's having to do with vows and free will offerings, right? So we've heard about first fruits, we've heard about tithes, all right? Not all the same. And exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leaves, leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord for seven days. That sounds good. Rejoicing before the Lord. And you shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the years, and it will be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month, and you shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in the land of Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. Okay, so that's that's conclusion. So I know some Messianic folk who all go camping together for a week. That sounds like a lot of fun. I think they um, that, that's something I'd like to pick up. All right, so we've got seven feasts. First, we've got Passover, then unleavened bread, and then first fruits. Then we count seven weeks, and then we have the Feast of Weeks, which Christians call Pentecost. That's the 50, the Pentecost. And then we have, no, then we have Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles. And you know that there is so much in there. But the point here is that Jesus is the first fruits. Now, the church is a kind of first fruits. Let's get that scripture. Okay, of course, there is Timothy, that the husbandman will be partaker of the first fruits. But if you look up first fruits together in the King James, first fruits without a space or a hyphen. So I'm going to give you all of the scriptures that I see here Romans 8 and 23, and not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So I assume all Christians have the Spirit in some way, certainly all Spirit-filled Christians, and we all are groaning for the redemption of our body, yes. Romans 16 and 5. Yes, I can explain to you all Christians have the Spirit in, with, and on. Okay, another day. I can explain it. Okay, I feel a little bit of demand.
like some are going to be so distracted now if I don't say that. All right, so obviously the Holy Spirit has to be with a person in order that they might be convicted. How would they be convicted of the need for forgiveness, for salvation, if the Holy Spirit weren't doing that job of convicting, you know, the hound of heaven kind of idea. Okay, so that's the with. And yes, Holy Spirit has got to be in you in some way if you are converted, born again. So the Holy Spirit comes in when you are saved. People say, I have Jesus in my heart. Well, and Jesus is in heaven. So it's the Spirit of Christ that's in your heart when you get saved. So Holy Spirit is in you. But what about on? So we we see that language in Scripture that a person had the anointing on them. They were anointed for service even, you know, kings and prophets in the Old Testament. So that's the on. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to be fully immersed so that you're filled to overflowing or that your Holy Spirit is on you in an abundant measure, okay, which would be exactly what would happen. You know, if you were dunked in the baptismal font, you would have the water on you in an abundant measure because you'd be fully immersed. And so this makes a complete harmony of scriptures. Some people like to point to these scriptures. Other people like to point to those scriptures. But you just can't do away with scripture that said these people believed in Jesus but had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And sure, I'd like everybody to get the baptism when they got believer's baptism, baptized in the Spirit when they got believer's baptism. But if it doesn't work that way, let's just get them both, okay? And let's move in the Spirit and manifest the gifts and let us go on. <laughs> so back to the feast, particularly with first fruit and the Feast of Weeks, and now we're going into the other scriptures about first fruits. Okay, Romans 16 and 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well beloved Epanetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So Paul is talking about a person who was the first believer from a region calls him a first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So this is exactly what I was saying that feast of first fruits. Feast of first fruits is right after feast of unleavened bread and this is Jesus because 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That means the rest of the harvest is going to be likewise resurrected. Hallelujah. That's what it means to call him the first fruits. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15 and 3. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterwards them that are Christ at his coming. Exactly what we were saying. Exactly in the same train of thought. Then moving on to 1 Corinthians 16 and 15. I beseech you, brethren, Ye know the house of Stephanus, that is the firstfruits of Achaia, and they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Okay, so Stephanus also being a firstfruits of Achaia, and 
Oh, that's very nice. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Right, so they're helping other Christians and making their habit practice. James 1 and 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So here James, brother of Jesus, is talking about Christians as first fruits of creatures. So he's, I assume, meaning the same thing as Paul is meaning that we're first fruits of, of the resurrection and the rest of creation will also be put in back in order. Revelations 14 and 4, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Okay, so here again we see Christians or the 144,000, being first fruits. Okay? So we follow the lamb. So we're first fruits. So the lamb is the first sheaf, and we are the first of the harvest. And the whole harvest will be the whole creation. Okay? So there is much, there are a lot more questions. I understand. And I can't talk forever. <laughs> One audio but we know where at first fruits the feast of first fruits is right after the feast of unleavened bread and the feast of weeks is not the same as the feast of first fruits this is important and we can say that we are first fruits because we're christians the first christians were first fruits and we are first fruits and we follow the lamb and so let's be a first fruit company hallelujah but that's not what we used to mean. But that is what the scripture says. So what we used to believe and hope for wasn't wrong, but there were some confusion in there. Why did somebody preach that First Roots was Pentecost? Well, I asked this somebody who, same age as, brother Sam and she reached for her shelf and pulled off a book by George Warnock there is a site about George Warnock and all his books and I must have been the Feast of Tabernacles book it was the most well-known book the book that I had seen before and she turned to I think it was chapter 2 and read the first page and if you didn't know already you would have misconstrued what Warnock said on that page and as you know often when we were taught about the feast we were taught not we didn't open our scriptures when we we're taught about the tabernacle. We were taught off of a diagram and not scripture. So maybe we should go back, revisit, and go through scripture about it. And maybe we'd have a much better understanding. Okay. Well, that's really the end of the teaching. And there's no big crescendo. Da, 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 you're great. Now you do anything that I want you to do because I have assaulted your pride because you're so great. And it's not, 
Oh, Lord, please accept our sacrifice. Please. Oh, Lord, we're just so grateful. We just repent. You know, if I was preaching, I would come to a crescendo. So this sounds like a nothing that, oh, first fruits is with Passover and it's not with Pentecost. Oh, sounds like a nothing, but it's not. It really is freeing the captives, <laughs> freeing you from the heresy and the difficulty of substituting yourself for Christ and therefore having to obtain your own salvation, let alone your own perfection, by some works or other, which of course means that you have to do what somebody else says. <laughs> and so you're in slavery to some human or group of humans. So it's a freeing word. It's also a freeing word from somebody who tells you that you have to give them a lot of money uh, because of some tenuous concatenation of scripture that started with that one. <laughs> okay, so the Lord wants you to be free. Yes, there is such a thing as offerings. And there is even such a thing as first fruits separate from tithing. And we can talk all about that, but you know what? It's an offering to God. And I've left you entirely free, although if you want to support this ministry, hallelujah, that would be great. And I think you would get blessings for doing it. But we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> anyway, for now, please accompany me to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the guidance of your word, the Bible. Thank you for this great gift, the great gift. Jews understand how great a gift Torah was. We understand how even greater gift was the teachings and life, an example of Jesus. Thank you for the guidance of your word. Thank you for the guidance of your spirit. Awesome treasure that you would come and abide in us and guide us. Thank you and help us to listen. Help us to mark, pay attention to that guidance. Thank you for the feasts. Thank you that they were feasts, that they were celebrations. Thank you that this shows the heart of God. Help us to have that celebration in our hearts, that joy in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the great set times of the year, times of rest, times of celebration, times of feasting. Thank you for the great timetable in the grand calendar of things that we understand because we understand the timetable in the year. Thank you for rest in you. Help us to understand that. Help us to have a real insight, a real revelation, a real application in our own lives that we are in Christ, that his work is finished, and that he is the first fruits, and we are in him the first fruits. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a congregation gathered around this word. Help us to be your body and your hands and feet in this world. Thank you for that we get to participate in this feast, that we get to celebrate, we get to rest, we get to give. Thank you for all of that. And thank you for the harvests. 
we sow, we reap. If there's a first fruits, then it's first fruits of a harvest that we have and a harvest that will come to full fruition because we've planted with incorruptible seed. Hallelujah. So we thank you for all of these things. Thank you that we can even thank you. <laughs> thank you that we have access to the throne room because of your grace. We thank you for it. And we pray all these things in the mighty, matchless, most wonderful name of Jesus, the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. And of course, you may celebrate this word by sowing into it. And you can do that. Write me. You can write me at P.O. Box 971 Cedar Park, Texas 78630. P.O. Box 971 Cedar Park, Texas 78630. And you may also go online and give online. We are now hooked up with PayPal, which will take your credit cards, maybe some other forms of, uh, of payment. And also we've got Zelle. You can all find that on the website at jesuspatternson.org. Jesus Patter, Pattern Son.org. I was thinking, <laughs> I was talking with some tech help and he thought I was saying Jesus Patterson. <laughs> like a, a person's name, you know, Jesus Patterson. Well, no, it's Jesus Pattern Son. I think you understand that. Dot org. Hallelujah. And please write me. Please write me. At what? At sister at Jesus Pattern Son. Sister at Jesus Pattern Son dot org. Tell you what, if you write me, I will send you a document that will include a little teaching about Shavuot, which we call Pentecost, including traditional Hebrew prayers. Of course, I'll give it to you in English too, <laughs> and some basic scriptures. So what would the Jews be reading on Pentecost? And what is the significance of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes? Why did that come on Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks? I'll explain that and give you the basic prayers. I think you will enjoy that and it will bless you. I'll put that in an email so that, I mean, in a document so that I can email it back to you if you email me. Okay, tell me who you are, please. <laughs> and please feel free to write me, ask your questions and so forth, just so I know. I, I don't promise to give you a fulsome answer for every question that you send, but I want to know what you're interested in. And uh, of course, I'll be more than delighted to come out uh, and uh, preach to you if you're interested in having me out for a weekend or something like that would love to do that and we can luxuriate as I say in the word and you can hear me preach <laughs> really preach or if you want teaching whatever okay but the whole point of this assignment is to free the captives free the captives no more bewilderment no more ignorance no more slavery in Jesus name Amen. Please give us a like wherever you are listening to us so that others might find us. And please share directly with those who might be interested. You are invited to write us at sister at jesuspatternson.org.
org. Sister at Jesus Pattern Son dot org. And of course, you are welcome to come to our website at Jesus Pattern Son dot org. May the Lord bless you.